Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I'm Valerie. Hi, and I'm Bree. Welcome back to our show. It is episode yeah. number six. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Thanks for remembering the episode number. I don't think we've been doing that up to this point, but we are catching our stride. I feel like we're really getting into it finally. Yeah, I feel like that too. And every week I get more and more excited to dive into the chapters. I feel like it's just something new, obviously, every single week, but I'm just like, what am I going to discover this week? Yeah. I will say, though, that I was not excited to dive into our second chapter today, but when Mm. we get there, you'll all be able to tell why, because it's a very intense chapter. Um, Yeah, we'll get there. there. (laughs) So how are you? How are you doing? Mm, I'm good. You know, I'm feeling a little little off today, Um, a little blah, but, you know, I'm happy to be here, so I'm trying to, you know, bring that energy, the good energy forward. How about you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, feeling the same. It is the middle of winter when we're recording this, so probably people listening soon to when the episode is published are feeling the same way, and hopefully we bring a little magic and light into your day through your ears. We really, really appreciate people listening. It's been it's been awesome so far to get responses and reviews and all of that from people. It's, that's been the best part by far. Yeah, no, it absolutely has. Uh, speaking of that, we actually did have someone, <laughs> we had someone who had some feedback um, it is. Yeah, I was wrong. This is the short version. I was incorrect <laughs> in what I said. However, I stand by my assertion that what I said would be very, very beautiful if it had been true. Anyway, you'll explain and then I'll talk more it's about still it. still was beautiful. Okay, yes. So on Instagram, uh, creating everyday magic. Uh, basically, she called out. So she, um, I'm assuming, yes, or I'll, I'll say they. Um, they have been reading to their kids, which I think is so cool. They were finishing up Goblet of Fire and they said, I swore Lily did talk to Harry in the cemetery during Priori Incantatum. Is that right? Does this not count because it was just the shadow of herself? So what she's talking about is Valerie mentioned that whenever Harry's mom shows up, um, whenever he uses the resurrection stone, the first thing he says, she says is, I'm proud of you. And so we believed that to be the first time that she had spoke to him. But turns out in the uh, cemetery in Goblet of Fire, um, Harry's mother actually did speak to him. Yep, she did. I pulled out my book and I double checked and I was incorrect. Um, She tells him, she basically does a really nice bit of exposition and just tells him what's going to happen. That um, they're here with him and they're going to try and protect him to give him time to get away. And that's pretty much it. Um, So yes, Harry's mom, Lily does speak to Harry in Goblet of Fire. 
and then again in Deathly Hallows in the forest. And I would say that our our listeners absolutely does not need to doubt themselves. Um, she is a shade of herself both times. So we're not going to say that one is doesn't count. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you are right. Does count. So I will accept that I have been corrected. I will double check my work in the future. I do have actually a note in one of the other books today. So we will double check that <laughs> and make sure I'm right about that. Uh, yeah. But we really appreciate that. Like, I'm happy to be wrong because yeah. one... Uh, I'm learning, right? So I would have gone on thinking that it was like this beautiful moment. And it is a beautiful moment, but like now I know there is another beautiful moment too. And it it means you're all listening, which right now is a little baby podcast is yeah. so meaningful. You know? Like that's <laughs> what we're here for. So um, yes. our love of Harry Potter and to hear from you when I say something that's wrong. We, it, that's what we show up for every single week. <laughs> it literally made my day. I was like, Valerie. <laughs> You're wrong about something. Someone told us. <laughs> but I was excited. But in your defense, when I read it, I was like, oh, because I was like, is that her talking or is that James? Is that Harry's dad? Because it was a little, a little confusing because it does say he mm-hmm. couldn't really hear her. And then it started with someone talking. So I just thought it was James as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely Lily, but it also was, I can see how I made that mistake in the past. Won't happen again. People. I'll do my best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again. If you hear anything in this episode that uh, one of us says incorrectly, one of us states the wrong fact, whatever, feel free to reach out. Reach yeah. out to us on social media. We are Beljar Pod on the major platforms. And you can always mention it in your review with the five stars on Apple because uh, we really love those five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, 100%. We have 15 of those. And every day I look and I'm like, did we get a new one? <laughs> so if you write us or give us a review, even if it's a little bit of feedback, like Creating Everyday Magic did. It will make our day. So whatever you say, it'll just make us feel good. I say that. I hear about podcasters who get one-star reviews and it does not make their day. <laughs> but I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that's a star. Like, it's not. It's still a star better than zero stars. Like, you could have not given us any any stars. So give me those stars, however yeah. many you want to get. <laughs> I mean, preferably you give us five and then say bad things. But, you know, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive in to this week's episode. As a reminder, if this is your first time listening, we are reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows backwards. So we are, we start at the end of a chapter, we read the last sentence, and then we go back and read the chapter, and then we step back chapter, chapter, chapter. So we are moving our way toward the middle of Deathly Hallows. This week we are covering two chapters, which is chapter 24 and 23. And right off the bat, Bree is going to give us a recap of the chapter, and then I will read the final sentence, and then we will discuss. So chapter 24, The Wandmaker. So we begin this chapter with the burial of Dobby. Very sad. Harry then proceeds to talk to both Grindelwald and Griphook as he watches, or tries not to watch, Voldemort decide to steal the Elder Wand from the tomb of Albus Dumbledore. Meanwhile, Harry is slowly figuring out the mysteries of the wand and trying to understand the mind of Dumbledore and why he told him about the Horcruxes and not the Elder Wand. Perfect recap. And the final sentence in this chapter is, The spider-like hand swooped and pulled the wand from Dumbledore's grasp, and as he took it, a shower of sparks flew from its tip, sparkling over the corpse of its last owner, ready to serve a new master at last. Mm. And actually, let's just start with that sentence, because we're jumping around in time. It's the glittering bell jar. I think this sentence is a little misleading, Mm -hmm. because Voldemort is not the master of the Elder Wand. And we know that because we read the end of the book first. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things in here where I think she maybe tips tips it one way or the other to keep the reader curious about what's going on or uncertain of what the final outcome will be. Yeah. But this to me reads like, 
it's his Voldemort is in charge of this one and he's actually not we know that I mean it works for him Mm -hmm. he's not maybe the new master but he is a new master I don't know if we can get that granular in the way the sentence is written what do you think so because Harry is in Voldemort's mind I think that she was able to get away with it because that is almost what Voldemort is thinking is that the wand is ready to serve a new master and so that's how I think she kind of tiptoed around that is Voldemort is thinking that instead of it being stated in the book as an mm-hmm. outside it's perspective. Like, it's like his opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I noticed that when I read it and I was like, um, I don't know if that wand really thinks you're its master. In fact, I know it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we don't have to get it right this second, but I did a ton of research on the Elder Wand. So I am actually super excited to talk about the wand today. Well, well we're talking about it. Let's just dive right in. So... I find the Deathly Hallows in themselves pretty interesting, but the the Elder Wand obviously is what Voldemort was most um, enamored by. So I found it interesting, especially for this chapter, it's all about the Elder Wand uh, versus the Horcruxes. So the Elder Wand, we all know the story of the Deathly Hallows. I'm assuming since you're reading it backwards with us, you already know all about it. The three brothers, the oldest, the eldest wanted the wand. So the oldest brother, who was a combative man, asked for a wand more powerful than any in existence, a wand that must always win duels for its owner, a wand worthy of a wizard who had conquered death. So that is the tale, right? The tale is that the wands came from death and that the invisibility cloak and um, the resurrection stone. Now, Elvis thought it was really unlikely that the elder wand was actually made by death, um, assumed it was just created by the eldest brother, um, and Anticock, I I can't say his name. Um, But that in itself, I found interesting because as a reader, I think, and the fact that we're reading magic, I kind of liked to believe that it really was death who created those for them. I guess I never, I was like, no, 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 definitely death did it, right? Which is funny because that's what Voldemort assumed is that he believed all the rumors. He believed that first off, it was made by death and that the wand really would always win duels because he thought it would make him invincible. Uh, Because Grindelwald actually says, the Dark Lord no longer seeks the Elder Wand only for your destruction, Mr. Potter. He is determined to possess it because he believes it will make him truly invulnerable. But it's not actually true. So Voldemort thought, First off, the wand is not going to make you invulnerable. It's a very powerful wand made of Thestral, so it has very powerful magic. And if you are a powerful wizard, you can use the wand, um, but you have to know how to master it because it is a strong wand. But the fact that he thought that you had to kill the owner to have the wand, it was the mistake he made, was believing that rumor. And of course, Voldemort would assume like, okay, fine, I have to kill the master for it to, um, for me to be the new master, which is so interesting to me. We keep seeing Voldemort's flaws and that is one of them. He chose to believe the rumors as fact. He didn't even think, what if that isn't true? Well, and he missed a big one because Grindelwald is still alive. Right, that's what I don't understand. That's what makes no sense. Grindelwald is still alive and Dumbledore ends up with the Elder Wand. So that means you don't have to kill the former master to get the Elder Wand to give you its allegiance. Like it literally, and we're, we're definitely crossing between the two chapters here, but I marked that because I was like, you didn't even assume now that because Grindelwald is laying in a prison, you don't have to kill someone to take the wand. You assume still you're going to have to kill Snape. 
This is what Dumbledore said about it. I was fit only to possess the meanest of them, the least extraordinary. I was fit to own the Elder Wand and not to boast of it and not to kill with it. I was permitted to tame and to use it because I took it not for gain, but to save others from it. So I almost wonder even if Harry hadn't have been the rightful owner, if the wand still would have been been loyal to Voldemort. Or not loyal to him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because Harry, Harry could have made it switch allegiances just by using it to protect from harm. Like, that's what he was doing. He was trying to protect other people from harm, which is what Dumbledore claims that he did to gain the allegiance of the wand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, this one, it's funny. Our last episode, episode five, we called it Lore and Data, which is a very nerdy Star Trek reference. Um, this one has even more of the wand lore that we talked about last episode, yeah. which makes me think we maybe should have tried to fit them into one episode, but it's such... It's kind of hard to break up the book. This one sort of fits together with Malfoy Manor, which is what the other chapter we're going to cover today. But there's so much wand lore, and I find it fascinating. I'm like, does the Department of Mysteries have one of those rooms? Because that's the room I want to go explore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very. Thank you. Thank you for diving into that. Because the Elder Wand is, I will say, I never, it's kind of interesting when you were telling the story, I never wondered whether death was responsible for making them or not. Like, it's yeah. kind of funny when I read, I like don't necessarily question the truth or the veracity of claims within a book unless I'm asked to by the narrator, by mm -hmm. the by the writer. Um, so I was just like, it doesn't really matter, actually. These objects obviously exist. They obviously have the powers that they were given, yeah. whether they were made by man or made by, or like made by wizard or made by death. It kind of irrelevant to me in terms of how the, the story moves forward. And it, the Elder One is also not the one I'm the most interested in. Right. I am... I think more like Harry and in that the resurrection stone is the one that I've sort of been following yeah. because I find it fascinating that it ended up being a Horcrux and a Hallow. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm really glad you dove into that because it is really interesting and important, especially here when we're talking about the allegiance of the other one and how critical that is to the final battle. Well, and not to mention the fact that, so there's actually a Reddit. I love having Harry Potter Reddit and somebody asked why Dumbledore um, had Snape kill him. And they said, was it because that he wanted him to have the Elder Wand? And it was like, no. He thought because Snape was killing Dumbledore as a kindness, the wand's power should have died with Dumbledore. But instead, obviously it didn't go according to plan, but he was able to not only, supposedly he would be killing the magic of the Elder Wand and Malfoy's soul would be saved. Hmm. Which was another thing that's interesting is that kind of didn't go to plan, but without that going, because it didn't go to plan, that actually worked in Harry's favor and the world's favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I don't know that I... I always assumed that he had Snape kill him so that, one, he had to die anyway. We already knew that because he had damaged his hand with the curse. Mm -hmm. And two, Snape had already done lots of bad things. So his soul was on his own balance mm -hmm. sheet. And that if anyone was going to be the master of the wand, he actually wanted it to be Snape because he knew that deep in his heart, if the wand was Snape's, yeah. Snape would not use it against Harry. No, and we can, I could probably go back in the chapter and find it, but um, Snape actually gets mad at Dumbledore because he says, but what of my soul? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, that is up to you. Yeah. But you, if you realize that you're doing me a kindness and that I was going to die anyways, your soul's going to be fine. Yeah. And because he's not actually killing him for in a duel, the wand supposedly wouldn't be his master. The wand would just die with Dumbledore. Hmm. Yeah, I'll define the actual, if anybody calls me out on it, I will find the actual uh, text on it. But I did some research. Interesting. So did, did 
I know what happens in the movie. Did Harry break the wand in half, the elder wand in half in the book? I can't remember. I can't remember. I will say having him break it in half in the movie is now much more interesting to me because I didn't quite understand why he did that because I don't think it's in the book. He does something with it. Harry says, in the book, Harry says, if I die a natural death, the wand's, yes. the wand's power will die yep. with me. That's So Harry keeps that's it. Right. Harry actually yeah, keeps right. it. And in the movie, he breaks it in half. And it's literally like, that's the only thing that you should do with that wand if you don't want anyone to have it. Because even if you die a natural death, we cannot be sure that that wand's power will end with you. But we, I think we can. But it won't work magically. It won't be powerful. Because uh, Voldemort says, this wand works just like my other wand. And Snape's trying to talk him out of killing him. And he's like... You've done extraordinary magic. And he said, yes, I've done extraordinary magic, but no different than the wand, my original wand. So it was doing the same type of magic. Well, we actually don't know if the Elder Wand works. We don't know if the Elder Wand works at all because the actual master of the Elder Wand is Draco Malfoy and he never holds it. Until Harry takes possession of the Elder Wand, we don't actually know if the Elder Wand's magic has been preserved through the, the death of Albus Dumbledore. But it has because Harry is its master and the curse rebounded onto Voldemort. And had Harry not been his master, it wouldn't have rebounded. But no, because their spells hit in midair. <laughs> we may have to trim this section. We're definitely in a rabbit hole here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, so what happens in the final battle, and you can't see my fingers unless you want to watch it on YouTube, is Harry casts Expelliarmus and Dumbledore yeah. casts Savada Kedavra, and they hit and they bounce yeah. back. And it's his own killing curse that rebounds, but it's a, it's the killing curse cast by the Elder Wand. And then yes. somehow, I don't quite know how, the Expelliarmus also hits Voldemort because the Elder Wand goes flying through the air and lands and Harry, Harry catches it. That's because it was loyal to Harry. And that's literally why he was baiting Voldemort saying, are you sure it's loyal to you? Because if it's not loyal to you, basically it's going to rebound. And Voldemort took the chance and hmm. it rebounded because it wouldn't kill its own master. Well, I still think the final sentence in this chapter is misleading then, because it seems, it seems to me that it, Voldemort believes that, that he's the master and the wand acts like he's the master. I mean, it got some sparks out of it. I don't know that that means he thought it was the master. That's what Harry's wand did when he repaired it at the end of the book. This is okay. We're deep in the, the world of wand lore. <laughs> okay. I'm not Maybe. sure. I'm not sure I agree with Reddit and, and the wiki on this one necessarily. Oh, it was me. It wasn't Reddit. <laughs> no, but you said on Reddit that they said that that's why he had Snape kill him. No, that's what I'm saying. They had asked and I did research and I, I looked and found text that solidified my theory. That that's why Dumbledore asked Snape to kill him. Yeah, no, 100%. That is why he asked him to kill him. Hmm. I'll have to think about this. It's interesting. It's interesting. Thank you for <laughs> okay. diving down this rabbit hole. Because it's definitely, yes. I've never, like I said, I've never really dove into the Elder Wand that much. Yeah. All right. Well, if anyone has okay. any thoughts on that. I would have yeah. done another rabbit hole next week. <laughs> obviously, obviously, this is one that's of interest to us. And we're we're clearly not done with the Deathly Hollows, even though we're moving backward. I mean, mm -hmm. we have a ways to go before we're done talking about them. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Where do you want to start in this chapter? There is a lot that happens. Um, let's see. Oh, the burial of Dobby. You know, um, not to keep keep talking, but I actually did find something interesting. The very first couple sentences is that so it says, for an instant, Harry knelt again beside Dumbledore's body. So whenever he sees Dobby laying there dead, he's brought back to Dumbledore's funeral, um, which is interesting that she made that analogy. The only thing I could think of is later on, she says, then Harry remembers Dumbledore's funeral, feeling that Dobby deserves just as grand as one. He's mad that, you know, he doesn't, Dobby doesn't get this grand funeral. So I don't know why... 
Why do you think she made that comparison? Like, why was that bringing him back to Dumbledore? Well, it's the only two funerals he's ever been to, which I don't know. I mean, okay, fair. every funeral I've ever been to reminds me of another funeral I've been to. True. Just why it gets hard to get older because you've been to a lot of funerals by that point. <laughs> um, and I think that in some ways, Harry, and I don't remember because we haven't read this recently, but Harry thinks that Dumbledore's kind of like pomp and circumstance funeral was like not what he actually would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And in, in sort of like, I think Harry sort of looks at funerals and um, sort of wonders whether it's what the person actually wanted or deserved. And so in this case, he's just thinking like Dobby deserves so much more. He's done so much mm-hmm. despite being just a house elf. Uh, and, and especially for him personally, he wonders, you know, wh- why do some people get the Minister of Magic speaking and the little guy in the funny hat and all this. And then some people get remembered by a few people in a, gr- a dirt grave. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, didn't Cedric Diggory have a funeral though? Nope. They had a, they had a memorial. They just had a memorial. Mm, fair enough. I will say this one was interesting. I, I marked a big, huge section in this book. Okay. Um, in the beginning of this chapter when Dobby is when Harry is thinking about his grief for Dobby Mm -hmm. and how it works as an insulator against Voldemort. And we were talking last week Mm -hmm. about um, Mm -hmm. Harry's ability to delve into Voldemort's mind without pain. And that's exactly what's happening in these, these two chapters we're covering today is that he's getting these flashes of Voldemort. And finally he does, he does gain the ability to control it through his grief for Dobby, which is exactly how he pushed out Voldemort when he was remembering Sirius's death. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a big, big section that I marked that it was like, he says his scar burned, but he was the master of the pain. Mm-hmm. Like he finally gains the ability to control his pain and his scar and Voldemort's thoughts intruding on his own without any of that pain because of Dobby dying, which is sort of important because going forward, he has to be able to control it to keep moving the the story, moving himself, Harry or Hermione and Ron forward. Yeah. Well, and it does mention... Uh, he said, using grief as a tool, he said, or Dumbledore would say it was love, which I thought, Mm -hmm. you know. Which is true. Yeah. A painful love, but yes. Yeah, you don't feel grief. Yeah, you don't feel grief for people you don't love. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do want to call out Luna's moment here at the funeral of Dobby that I thought it was one of the most like clear minded and articulate things that she said (laughs) that was like not, not wildly inappropriate. Um, She just thanks him for saving them and says she'll never forget it uh, and wishes him his spirit rest, which I thought was a very Mm -hmm. um, beautiful moment for a character who is so kind of off the wall. She could have said something (laughs) wildly inappropriate and she didn't. And that was really nice. Yeah, I don't feel like she would. I, see, I don't see her that way. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not like she would be like, well, maybe. I guess she could be like the, I could see his aura or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I liked that. And I it was, I felt it was almost like she was reading Harry's thoughts, which I feel like she almost often does mm-hmm. where she comes to his rescue. He literally is sitting there wishing that they, he had a grand, that Dobby had a grand funeral. And then she's like, maybe I should say something. And like, she literally read his thoughts that he deserved. Um you know, to at least be memorialized by someone. Mm-hmm. So I like that as well. And here's an important question I was thinking about this week. What do you think is Luna's favorite class at Hogwarts? Just as a side tangent, real quick. Oh, okay. Um, that is a good question. I honestly don't see her as like someone that would like Trey Lonnie's class. 
I don't either. I'm always like, it's got to be divination. And then I'm like, no, it's actually not. And so if it's not that, what is it? I don't know. I mean, not herbology. You know, that's Neville's. Um, Mm -hmm. Charms, maybe? Yeah, maybe charms. Or, you know what? She really liked doing spells, though, because that's what her mom liked doing. Like actual, um, you know what I mean? Potions and spells. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how her mom died, but she, they still like doing it. Like she even said, like, I still. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. I was just thinking about Luna this week. <laughs> love that. <laughs> thinking about Luna a lot more than usual. <laughs> um, I do. Another thing I do love jumping back into this chapter mm-hmm. is um, this chapter and the one before we get a ton of references to the other books. Mm-hmm. So we get help will always be given at Hogwarts for those who ask for it, which mm-hmm. is Chamber of Secrets. We get the first visit to Gringotts when he's talking to Griphook in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So there's a few more in, in the Malfoy Manor chapter. I just really liked how I, I feel like that's the signal to me that we're in the third act. Like the arrival at Shell Cottage to me is the beginning of the third act. Yeah. Because you start to to wrap it all up, which means pulling all these threads that have come from different stories and making sense of them. Mm-hmm. And Malfoy Manor is almost the, the end of the second act. So we're kind mm-hmm. of transitioning between the two, um, which is funny because that's exactly how the movies break down is it's, it's Shell Cottage is the break point between the two Deathly Hollows films. So they did a nice job actually mm-hmm. of recognizing what I'm discovering by reading it this way, which is that this is the point where we've entered the, the finale of it all because mm-hmm. everything starts to reference each other. Mm, yeah, I like that. Uh, how about all the talk of the sea and the ocean? Like she did such a wonderful job literally making us feel like we were there. Like you would never for a moment during these two or sorry, this chapter and the last chapter, I just felt like I was at the ocean. I felt like I was at Shell Cottage. Um, a couple of the lines, the sea was rushing against a rock somewhere nearby. Harry listened to it while the others talked. Um, his rage was dreadful and yet Harry's grief for Dobby seemed to diminish it so that it became a distant storm that reached Harry from across a vast silent ocean. Um, and there are a couple more that I found and it was just beautiful. Yeah. There's one point where she describes it mournfully, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a very appropriate word given the context that this chapter opens in. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this is one where you can almost hear the waves in the background of your mind and she does a nice job of bringing it back regularly exactly as waves fall so that you remember all of the sensory experience of being at this place yeah yeah 100 percent uh the only other thing i found um was the word blood traitor i i don't know that i had really paid attention to that word before so you know you have mud blood you have half blood you have pure blood and you have a blood traitor so that's a pure blood um or or half blood um basically standing up for mud bloods or muggles Mm-hmm. who is not living up to the quality of their blood. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting term. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I caught is just a very quick side reference yeah. is there's the discussion between Harry and Ollivander. Uh, Harry says Voldemort trusted Bellatrix and her husband. So a couple episodes ago, I was like, where the heck is Bellatrix's husband? Yeah. Well, he's, he's mentioned here. He doesn't get his name. I don't know. What, I still don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll discover it as I'm reading backwards because I'm paying attention to it. But I'm like, nope, she still has a husband. I'm not sure what she's doing with Voldemort, but it's, <laughs> she's got a husband officially. <laughs> um, something I want to watch for. Again, Reddit's got me thinking about things. And it'll be much further, but I just want to put it on the books for now. So it'll be fun. Uh, there's a theory that Narcissa and Snape had an affair. Interesting. So when we get to the Unbreakable Vow at the beginning of... Half-Blood Prince, we got to watch that chapter. Interesting. Yep, that's what it is. That's where it is. Interesting. So. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to look 
in this book. I said it just because I want to, if there's any hints throughout this book, I want to be watching for it. But yeah, it's a theory. Hmm. Although I can't really picture Snape with anybody, but nevertheless. Okay, cool. So let's go back in time. We're going to step back to chapter 23. Hey, so let's make the galleons to keep the show going. Have you heard of the Osseo box? The Osseo box is the magical world's only vegan and cruelty-free indie subscription box, and it's perfect if you still need a little more magic in your life after listening to this week's episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. Each monthly box is a theme from the Wizarding World. Past boxes include Big Witch Energy, House Pride, and Magical Books. You can also buy past boxes and themed character boxes. You know which one we want, hashtag Neville Fan Club. Visit our sister site at followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up today and you'll receive 20% off your box or subscription. That's followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up for the Osseobox. Thanks for supporting our show. Now let's get back to the Wizarding World. All right, so the big three are caught by Greyback and other scavengers. After discovering his identity... They take him to Malfoy Manor to be rewarded by Voldemort, with gold, of course. There, Bellatrix tortures Hermione, while Ron and Harry are sent to the dungeon where they find Luna, Dean, and Ollivander. Bellatrix summons the Dark Lord, but before he gets there, sweet Dobby comes to the rescue and operates to Shell Cottage. Very succinctly said. And the final sentence of this chapter is, And then, with a little shudder, the elf became quite still, and his eyes were nothing more than great glassy orbs sprinkled with light from stars they could not see. And that is why I was not looking forward to reading this chapter, because I remember being in the audience in the movie, this this scene, and someone sobbing aloud, and I have no, it was like a, it was like ripped from their heart the pain of watching Dobby yeah, die, is. and I will yeah. never forget that. <laughs> yeah, we just shoved that in a little box, put it inside. Uh. <laughs> It's interesting, I will say, it's it's very interesting how she often kills characters right at the end of a chapter. Yeah. Okay. Now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, it's often right at the end of a chapter, which does allow the reader to compartmentalize it. That's that chapter, and now we're starting with the ramifications of yeah. that death. Um if I don't know if, if authors do this on purpose, um, or if there's a reason psychologically to do it, but it seems like the death and then the ramifications of the death, keeping them separate, make it mm. easier for a reader to move through them. I don't know. That's just a hypothesis. I like it. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. There are a few more deaths that we have to Ugh. process through as we work through the book. So yeah. we'll, I will keep an eye on that as well. Uh, so what did you get from this chapter? Yeah. So again, one thing I do want to point out is that I caught a lot of references to the other books. Okay. Um, I mean, we get Stan Shunpike turns up, so we get some name mm-hmm. dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a reference to the Chamber chamber of Secrets through the Slytherin Common Room, which, by the way, is the reference that I want to make back into the previous book. So okay. um, just after they've been captured, they are getting questioned and they ask Harry what house he was in. He's pretending to be Vernon Vernon Dudley. <laughs> and um, he says, I was in Slytherin. And they're like, funny how that's what we always, they always think we want to hear. And he's like, I actually know where it is. It is in the dungeons. You enter through a wall. It's full of skulls and it's under the lake. So the light's all green. And I was like, skulls? I don't remember skulls in my common room. So I went back <laughs> and there are no skulls in the common room in Chamber of Secrets. It is a long, low underground room with rough stone walls and ceiling from which round green lamps hung on chains. So I don't know where the lake bit comes from. I don't know where the skull bits come from. That may be from the movies mm-hmm. because in the movies it does have windows that look out under the lake. Yeah. But there are no skulls in this original description as far as I could tell. Now, again, dear listener, if you think I'm wrong, please, please correct me. Send us send us screenshots of your copy. Yes, um, but I think, again, this is an opportunity where 
she wrote this description based more from the movies than from her own original writing, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's all one universe. Totally cool. But just like with Diagon Alley and how the entrance changed, mm-hmm. I think this is the same thing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's kind of what jumped out at me yeah. in this. One of the big things is like these references to the other books. Nice. Yeah, you know, something funny I found is they can't figure out who uh, Vernon Dudley is because, of course, um, Hermione has put a jinx on his face so that they can't tell his face is like puffy and boils and all sorts of stuff. And they're like, I don't know. And they see the scar and they're like, maybe it's all stretch. But the glasses, they put the glasses on him. They're like, oh, yeah, it's Harry Potter. Like, what is he, Clark Kent? (laughs) Yeah, we found glasses. Have they never heard of contact lenses? (laughs) Yeah, and again, this references what we talked about last chapter, where it's like, why weren't they just in disguise regularly? You know, like, yeah. Hermione can do magic, which transforms the way they look. Harry should always be in disguise. He's undesirable number one. <laughs> right, yeah. 100%. I, we won't go back down that rabbit hole, but... A missed, a missed magical opportunity. Another missed magical opportunity here at Malfoy Manor is when they arrive mm-hmm. and he's all puffy and swollen and nobody thinks to use finite, which would remove the spell and then show them Harry's normal face. Oh. That's like, you can end the spell by just casting certain like, counter spells or saying finite to end the spell. So I'm like, well, these people all have wands. Why aren't they using the magic? Maybe they weren't very good at Hogwarts. You know, they weren't very good students. <laughs> well, Lucius Malfoy was a prefect, but he doesn't have wands. So... I think this is just where I can get really nitty gritty because we're doing it with such yeah. a fine tooth comb and I don't want to be a, like negative Nancy on the, all the little plot holes that I'm finding. I don't know. I kind of like it. I like to hear the plot holes. It just... Oh, I have one more. Yeah. So at the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, Draco's like, oh, I can't believe I have to go back to school for one more year. I'm not going next year. And everyone's like, oh, what? He goes back to school in this book because he's home on Easter holidays. So he does all seven years, which probably means that Harry had a great seventh year when he was there. Ginny was also a seventh year. They all go back and finish their degrees. And there's no Draco Malfoy to deal with anymore. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't even think about them going back for their seventh year. I don't think you get to be head of the Auror office, which is what I'm assuming Harry does, Mm -hmm. which I think is in Cursed Child. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could do that without, without your education completed. Can you imagine going back to Hogwarts? I mean, you're going to get me down a big rabbit hole. Like, you have just won the war and defeated the Dark Lord. You know, you, I mean, but all three of them and all, you know, Neville and Luna. Like, now you have to go back to school and, like, listen to, like, I don't know. Either it'll be Professor Bins. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Either you would love it because you're like, oh, I get to be normal for a year, or you would just be like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, I defeated the yeah, Dark Lord. Why are we here? <laughs> Another thing I caught is when Bellatrix realizes that they may have been in her vault. She says, the situation is graver than you can possibly imagine. We have a very serious problem. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wondered, we sort of get the sense of that from the discussions that Harry has had and our own discussions about how Voldemort doesn't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. But whatever he told Bellatrix was in that vault has enough that she is terrified of Voldemort. Okay. So I'm a little bit curious what he could have told her that wasn't, this is a piece of my soul, protect it with your life and don't tell me if anything happens to it, which is what she's trying to do. Yeah. What could he have said that would have scared her that much? Because if he, it wasn't like with the diary where he just gave it to Lucius and Lucius didn't even realize it was anything other than a diary. Right. But he told him to protect it. I think just the fact that he told her to protect it and put it in her vault he probably just said this is super important and like if the guy's a mass murderer and you'll lose his one thing that he said super important like <laughs> I don't know 
<laughs> true. That is true. That is true. I was just like, maybe she does know. Maybe she knows more than she's putting on about how important this is. But yeah, maybe. It's hard to know. I mean, we, we were under the impression that Voldemort trusts no one. And he kind of impl- implies that he doesn't, he should never have trusted anyone with any of them. So right. it might just be that he's like, lose this and you're in big trouble, young lady. And she was yeah. like, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Bellatrix, it says page 460 in my book. Um, basically, Anne knew that she was about to touch it to summon her beloved master. Another reference to her, you know, beloved master. Yeah, yeah, you caught you that. Know, I think that could go either way. Yeah, you're really good at catching those words that she's using to describe their relationship. Yeah, because it's weird. <laughs> it's freaking me out, man. Yeah, it is weird. I, I never I'd never really picked up on any of that dynamic before. But uh, yeah, it's definitely obvious that she has a very strong set of emotions mm-hmm. for Voldemort. So, Including fear, as yeah, we were just obviously discussing. Obviously, deathly fear. Uh, what about Narcissa? Uh, two lines, she says... Don't you dare speak to Draco that way. Um, and then as Narcissa dragged Draco out of the way from further harm, her only goal this whole time is to protect Draco. Mm-hmm. Literally, she doesn't care about the rest of them. She barely says anything. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that she's the first one to see Harry when they bring him into the room. And she, again, checks him to see if he's real. Mm-hmm. Just like she does in the yeah. forest, she's sent to check him. And presumably, yeah. I don't, I mean, then again, I don't know. Voldemort doesn't know any of what's happening in this chapter because he's off in Nuremberg. Right. But yeah, I thought there was some symmetry there as well. Um, and she she's a very consistent character too in that it's really, it's not even Lucius, it's Draco. She is there yep. to be the mother for Draco and to protect him where she can. Yeah, which makes you wonder if she kind of like regrets being with, with Lucius. You know, because she is, she's not all love. I get it. She, they're all horrible people, but in a capsule, you know, like, she is all love for Draco, mm-hmm. you know? Like, all she seems to do of what we get of her is, well, you know, Draco and possibly Snape now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she loves Snape, too. Uh, yeah, and Draco, he... we I love seeing his duality, where he constantly tries to fight the dark side inside of him, or maybe tries to fight the light. I don't know, but he's like, I don't know, it could be Harry. And they're like, what, is this Hermione? They don't have disguises on, or I'm assuming they don't say anything about them having disguises, is that Hermione? Is that Ron Weasley? Maybe, maybe. I think Draco is that terrified of Voldemort. Mm. Like whatever he can do to prevent Voldemort from being summoned that's fair. into his home, his safe place. That's how I was thinking about that too when I read this. And I was like, if it were me and the way that I remember the books going, having when I read them forward, I would be, I would do anything to not have that man come back. <laughs> I don't want him to come back. If I have to lie or be noncommittal or whatever. Actually, I like that. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's more of, he's more motivated by fear than by any sense of altruism or evil. Mm-hmm. I have a good one for you. Okay. On, for, you know, in the books that we're reading, page 466, mm-hmm. Dumbledore's eye was gazing at him out of the mirror. Mm-hmm. I love that sentence because I was like, she told us it was Dumbledore, yeah. but she didn't say which one. And that is a uh-huh. critical way to phrase that sentence it's true that sentence is 100 percent true it is dumbledore's eye it is not albus dumbledore wow. we just don't know that yet wow okay yep. one little sentence and i was like very cleverly written that <laughs> sentence gets past me the one about mastery and the elder wand i don't know about that one but this one perfect sentence okay yeah i love that can we just talk for a second it doesn't really have a throwback i just hermione's whole storyline through this chapter it is dark it is dark for a kid's... I mean, I know it's at this point, it's not so much a kid's book, right? But 
children do read this book and they may not get everything that she's saying, but Greyback wanted Hermione um, for dark reasons. To eat her. I, to eat her. To drink her blood. He attacks and eats people with his teeth. I, I guess I feel like it, it was a little bit darker. I think, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the things he would have done. But for me, there was other things hidden beneath the text. But that's what I thought. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't I didn't read it that way. But either way. <laughs> either way, it's really dark. Yeah. He wanted no, her. And, no, and the fact that they are torturing, the torture that they are inflicting on her. For one, showing how freaking strong she is. But for two, just showing how evil Bellatrix is, which we know, but she's using the Crucio curse on her. She is using her knife to cut her up. Like, she is the worst kind of torture that you can do to someone. And it's like, dang, Hermione is strong. She's not only smart and mm -hmm. witty, she is strong. This was actually the scene where I, in the films, where I was the most impressed by Emma Watson as an actress. Do you know the story? No. How she prepared for this scene? So in the films, if you've seen the films, which hopefully you have if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's not just a matter of like threatening her or whatever, or doing, doing spell work to torture her. Um, Bellatrix carves mudblood into her arm. And to get the acting right for that part... Emma Watson watched films of people being tortured. Wow. To And that's why that scene, if you, I mean, it gives me goosebumps even thinking about it because she does such a good performance of the agony of torture that it, it is, it's 100% believable. You don't doubt it. And it's from the, the commitment to her character to understand what she had actually gone through, yeah. which is the, the, the highest accolade is like to become your character. And she did the work to become Hermione in this particular scene, which was very challenging. I heard when I, I remember hearing the story, they said uh, crew members on set were, were genuinely afraid would run over when they would, when they would start shooting because she was screaming so believably wow. that they were worried she was actually hurt. Um, so anyway, huge props to Emma Watson for her performance in this scene. I look forward to seeing it whenever we do a movie recap. They were like, uh, Helena has lost it and she's actually torching her. <laughs> she's become Bellatrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know with those teeth, you know, you never know. Um, yeah, that, that was one. I mean, I just think about it and I could hear her screams echoing and like that kind of performance mm -hmm. that it translates back into the book. When I read the book, it's just a real testament to Emma Watson's abilities as an actress. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. That was a good fact. I liked that. I do know lots of random stories like that from the filming pr process. I don't know why. Keep them coming. <laughs> I have no idea where I picked them all up. Yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> do you pick anything else up from the chapter? Nope. That's all I had in this one. Hmm. Um, yeah, there was just, that's it. I've emptied out all my stickies every wow. time I fill it with stickies. And then as we go through them, I pull them back out. So I don't miss any oh, of them wow. that I want to talk you. about. I'll still keep them. That's a good idea. I should move on. <laughs> um, I actually have one more thing. So Wormtails or Peter Pettigrew, his moment of love, um, where he, he falters for just a second because Harry says, I saved your life. And I don't know why, but he had a moment of a little bit of love or something in there other than evil. And it, I mean, it saves, it saves their life. Um, but it just shows Harry defeats Voldemort because of other people's love or help. Mm -hmm. And Voldemort loses because he doesn't have, he has people's fear, not their love. Yeah. And even if Peter didn't love him, there, there was a kindness that flickered for a second. Something, some kind of something. He saw, he saw James and Lily. 
in the, in mm. yeah oh, just to make it real sad um i was just i just grabbed my copy of goblet of fire mm, okay to see if i could find the scene where harry and dumbledore discuss that the making of the silver hand because that is something they do talk about mm. where um where dumbledore says something about it and let me see yeah Oh, man. I might not be able to find it. We might have to check back in on it at the okay. beginning of next week's episode because it's going to take me a little while. I am I very unfamiliar. I'm, yeah, I'm very unfamiliar with the middle of the series right now because it's been so long since I read them. Normally, Same. I am like, know exactly where everything is. But I will say I ran out of things to read. Not that that's ever really true. But I was going to, I was like, oh, I want to start Harry Potter. And I was like, you have to wait. <laughs> I have know. To wait. I know. <laughs> it's going to be like Torture. seven months before we get back to the beginning of the series. And then I can read it again. <laughs> then I probably want to break. I know. Um, okay. So before we wrap everything up, let's do our Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz. As a reminder, if you're listening, every single week, we drop a little bit of trivia about mm-hmm. ourselves. And at the end of this season slash at the end of the mm-hmm. class, the person who remembers gets the most right answers, we'll get a prize. Prize TBD. But it will be cool because Instagram has figured out that I'm a Harry Potter fan and I get served tons of cool <laughs> licensed stuff. So we will get you something cool as a prize if you can remember the most right answers. So this week, the question that we are asking is about our Patronuses. So Brie, what is your Patronus? Um, so I do everything on the Wizarding World, so I did not decide what my Patronus is. I don't know which you did, but mine is the Lynx, which I thought was pretty Ooh. cool. You know, I'm more of a dog person. That's but, like Kingsley. Yeah, it's still oh oh okay yeah I like Kingsley. It's still pretty powerful, pretty cool, pretty cool Patronus. What about you? It's a badass cat. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have a cat. That's a good one to have. Um, so mine actually does come from the Wizarding World also. Oh cool. Um, I didn't agree with basically anything else I got, but I did really like the Patronus I was selected, which was a hummingbird. Ooh. And if you. If you know me, um, mm-hmm. I love hummingbirds. I think they're fascinating. I love pollinator species. Um, and my husband and I, when we got married, we designed a family crest. Mm-hmm. And we both love hummingbirds so much. That is one of the two animals that is on our family crest. Wow. So, And that was not because it's my Patronus. I just, it just, there's hummingbirds. They're just part of my essence and my being. So it would make mm-hmm. perfect sense that I would have a teeny tiny little Patronus yeah. out there skewering Dementors with its little beak. <laughs> well, and it's <laughs> part of our logo. I mean, that's basically like a little hummingbird in there. Oh, you're right. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think of that. (laughs) (laughs) It's everywhere. Yes. See, they're everywhere. They are everywhere. I don't have any on my desk, actually. I should probably get a little hummingbird something for my desk because I look at all this stuff all the time. But yeah, yep. They're all around. That's, that's my, that's my Patronus. So again, to recap, Bree's Patronus is a lynx and mine is a hummingbird. So take that in your little notebook or write it down somewhere and we will, uh, we will release the quiz form at the end of the season. Cool. All right. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. Yep, this was fun. Thank you all for listening. If you have any feedback or you just want to talk about the episode, um, hit us up. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, it's at Pod. Pod. Uh, we do have an email, Valerie. Yeah, so the email you can reach us at is podcast at followthebutterflies.com. And if you want even more Harry Potter in your life, that website, followthebutterflies.com, is full of other Harry Potter resources. I've got gift guides. I've got how to decorate your bathroom Harry Potter style. I was just working on a couple potions that you can make at home that are delicious. So if you want more Harry Potter, that is the place to get it. And uh, as a reminder, leave us a five-star review or leave us any (laughs) review with some stars. You heard me at the beginning. I love stars. However many you want to give. I prefer five stars, of course, but I will take as many stars as you feel we deserve. We work hard. We love being here. We love talking Harry Potter. We want to hear from you, whether that's a review or following us on social and contacting us there. And uh, we will be back next week with another new episode. 
Yeah. Excited for next week. See you next time.